Our parsha introduces the halachas of Shabbos in the context of the story of the Mun. So what is the connection between the Mun and Shabbos? They seem quite similar and yet quite different all at once. The first time the Torah ever discusses the halachas of Shabbos is in our parasha in the context of the Yidden receiving the mon. Seeing as everything in Torah is absolutely precise, move on, you have to understand that there has to be a very deep link between what the mon is all about and what Shabbos is all about. Especially when you consider what is quoted in the name of Reb Sadiyagon, Let's say that a person is lost on Shabbos, you're on a desert island. You don't know which parasha you're supposed to read that Shabbos. Says Reb Sadiyagon, you read parasha Samon because it has a connection to Shabbos. Even beyond that, now you'd say, one second, how can there be a connection between Mon and Shabbos? There was no Mon on Shabbos. They got the double portion before Shabbos. Still, Isab Zohar, the Zohar, gives a fascinating insight, which is the Adrabah. To the contrary, even though you don't see the mon, the brocha in the spiritual realms, which facilitated six days of mon, that brocha was activated on a Shabbos, which is alluded to in the Michilta, which says that the way that Hashem blessed Shabbos was with the mon. So there is clearly a link between Shabbos and the mon. The question is, What's the link? We need to understand. What is the contextual connection between Mon and Shabbos? Because at face value, you're not going to detect any similarity between the Mon and Shabbos. But not only that, they actually appear to be totally separate concepts. Shabbos applies with all its details at all times and all places for all Jewish people. Whereas the Mon was a short-term experience in a specific place. Only for these 40 years, and only for the Jews who lived in the Jewish camp in the desert. Sounds very, very dissimilar to Shabbos. Shabbos is universal and the Mon is incredibly specific. Now the easiest way to explain it is because look, Shabbos is a day of rest and the Mon was a way of getting your provisions without major effort. So maybe that's the link. The simplest way to explain this would be that the common denominator between the Mon and Shabbos is neither requires work. Mon was bread that descended from heaven, and therefore you didn't have to plow a field, you didn't have to plant, etc. Shabbos is similar. Not only are you not allowed to actually do the 39 categories of work on Shabbos, Part of the pleasure and enjoyment of Shabbos is mitzvah You shouldn't even think about your needs, your business, etc. The psychology of Shabbos is that it is a time where you feel that all your work has already been completed. So you see, it's also a time of no stress, no work. 
that's perhaps the common denominator. It's just not enough of a link. Because there's two things to consider over here. Number one, It's not true to say that the mon was completely free of any effort. The Gemara tells us it depended who you were. The Tzadikim bred at their doorstep. Those average Jews, they got ready-made dough that just had to be baked. Whereas the Rishoyim, they got raw product that still had to be ground down into flour, turned into dough, and then baked. So there is some effort. In addition, the Tzadikim had home delivery. The Bainanim had to go down to the local store kind of thing. They had to walk around to find the mud. Rishoyim shot over Loktu. Whereas the Rishoyim, they had to order from overseas kind of thing. They had to go far from home in order to find mon. That's Shaloikin and Kom Shabbos. That's very different to the notion of Shabbos where my work is done. I have no worries in the world. Shabbos is a day you're not even supposed to think about working, whereas the mon actually required work. So maybe they're not so similar. And on the flip side, on Shabbos, the concept is that all work is off the table. Your psychology, your attitude, your headspace has to be as if any responsibilities that you have are all already taken care of. Whereas the mon only freed you from work that was directly related to food production. But you still were lighting fires so that you'd have light at night or carrying or whatever it was that you were doing. That lends itself to tell us that the link between Shabbos and the Mon is most likely associated with food preparation because that's the reality of the Mon. Here's another piece of evidence to that fact that the link between Shabbos and the Mon is related specifically to food and the production of food because how do we know that you are required to have three meals on Shabbos? How do we know that you're supposed to have two chalas at the meals on Shabbos? That's all derived from how the Torah describes the mon. Moshe said, eat it today. Today is Shabbos. Today you won't find the mon. He says three times from that with the chazal derived that you have to have three meals. And the Torah says clearly that it was a double portion on a Friday for Friday and for Shabbos from which we learn to have two chalas. So that shows you that the food element of Shabbos is related to the food element of the mon, and perhaps that's the extent of their correlation. Now to understand this further, we're going to look at a pasuk specifically about the mon and what Rashi says about it. So the Pasuk tells us that Hashem says to the Jewish people, I'm going to rain down bread out of the heavens. And the people will go out every single day on a daily basis to get their daily allocation of mon. And this will be an exercise in order to test that they will be committed to my Torah or, or they won't. So Rashi picks up on that phrase in order to test them and he says, what test them about what? Hashem's going to test them. Will they be able to observe the specific mitzvahs that relate to the man? Namely, not to keep leftovers from one day to the next. And number two, that on Shabbos they won't go looking for man. 
Hainu. Now, based on that pasuk and Rashi's interpretation, what's it telling us? That one of the key principles, one of the main purposes of the mon is to test that the Jews will respect the mitzvahs that Hashem gives them in relation to the mon. Which are that they won't keep leftovers and they won't go looking for mon and Shabbos. So now, if that's the case, that's what the mon is all about, not, going, not worrying about tomorrow and not going to find food on Shabbos, then we have to understand these two factors, these two mitzvahs that are specific to the mon, that you won't keep leftovers, and that you won't uh, go looking on Shabbos, what's the connection? Why is that the, the, the whole point of the mon? The whole point of the mon is that you're not going to keep leftovers. The whole point of the mon is you're not going to look for food on Shabbos. Why is that the essence of the mon? Well, the first thing to examine is, let's understand what is so unique about the mon. Heavenly food as compared to ordinary bread, which you and I could produce. There's a very clear distinction. If you want bread in the, colloquial, in the, in the classical sense, you've got to work for it. You have to create the environment within which Hashem's brocha could rest. And how do you do that? You have to plow the field and plant the field and weed, etc. Then, then, in your environment that you have prepared to receive Hashem's brocha, He will give you the brocha called food. Bread is actually symbolic of all things that a human being needs in order to live. And the way that Hashem will facilitate the bracha reaching you will be via the environment that you have created, the keli that you have built. Whereas when you talk about the mon, which is heavenly food, you don't have to do anything at all in the way of preparation. There's nothing that the human being can do to cause mon to happen. Which naturally implies that the feeling, the, se- the sensibilities that you'll have around food that you produce will be completely different to the sentiment that you'll have around food that comes from heaven. When you're dealing with normal bread, where the system is that Hashem's brochus will be enveloped inside a human endeavor project, that's your keli through which you get the brocha. Yes, of course, the person will be conscious of that. We're not talking over here about a wayward individual. You're conscious. You know that what you're doing is merely setting the stage. It's merely creating a keli. But the actual provisions are Hashem's brocha. Not only do you know that, Plus, the person knows the keli is actually not what makes the brocha. The keli allows me to fulfill what Hashem expects and demands of me so that I can get the brocha. In other words, I don't believe that the planting makes the bread. Hashem's brocha makes the bread. Because I believe that when does Hashem bless you? When you are proactive. Not to sit twiddling your thumbs and wait for Hashem's blessings to shower on you. So even though the person is conscious of those factors, that my efforts are just the keli, and the keli is not the cause of the brocha, it's just to allow me to fulfill what Hashem wants so that I deserve the brocha, 
Still, Kevin The fact remains that the bread arrives in my world via a natural process. And that natural process was facilitated by my efforts. I, by nature, will feel I did something over here. I achieved something over here. I'm not a nobody. I achieved something over here. Whereas when man falls out of the sky, where I have done zero to impact that provision, that elicits out of me absolute trust in Hashem. Because then I realize I'm completely powerless in this process. So now, move on. With that, we can understand that the particular tests that were embedded in the modern experience, namely, that we, Hashem's testing, will we keep the mitzvahs associated with it, like not holding over any food for tomorrow? That is the objective of the whole process of mon. Because what is the objective of mon? In order to expose and thereby to test the entire process of mon is designed to bring out bitachon within the Jewish human experience. Meaning, the exercise of the mon was to train us to come to the realization that everything that we have is 100% from Hashem, without any intervention of human endeavor, without any keili that contributes to it happening. Therefore, the, the goal of the mon was to completely negate the possibility that a person should be worried about tomorrow. The moment I realize that I have absolute trust in Hashem, that I am in no way the cause of my provisions, then I shouldn't worry about tomorrow. How could I worry about tomorrow? I have to have absolute trust in Hashem. Okay, this is Batan Khuma, like the Medjan Khuma tells us, that the mon would fall day by day. The implication of those words is Misha Bora Yoim Bora Parnasasa. That the same person who created the same entity that created days created the provisions for each day. From which Rabbi taught a very powerful principle. Any person who has food to eat today. And is anxious about what am I going to eat tomorrow? That's the person who lacks emuna. So what's the goal of the mon? To drive home the message that the Eibishter is the ultimate provider and doesn't need our efforts. Therefore, we have to trust absolutely that the Eibishter will give us what we need. Now that tells us how does mon work? Totally without human effort. It's the Eibishter's gift on his terms. Which is, by the way, one of the reasons that the man was accompanied by dew, because the tal lo Because dew is something that is never withheld. There's no season of dew. It's a consistent all of the time because it's the Abish's gift. Because as we well know, dew, unlike rain, is not tethered to human endeavor. So rain, we could lose the opportunity for rain or we could daven and earn the rains. Whereas dew, nothing to do with us. And mon is the same. It's completely Hashem's gift. 
So on the one hand, Mon is completely milamaila, it's Abish to giving with his open, generous hand. Yet, on the other hand, we call Moki Motsinu. There was something that the human being had to do once the mon had arrived in order to access it, as we've already mentioned. Not only those who didn't deserve the full mon experience, they had to actually go out and find the mon, and it's just a question of distance if it's a benani or a rasha. Even the tzaddikim who had home delivery, they still had to go to the door. Meaning to say, it didn't manifest in their kitchen, in the, in the bowl ready to eat. So there had to be some kind of human endeavor. And we need to understand why. Furthermore, the very fact that there are three classes of Jews who have three different degrees of how much effort they need to invest to get their mon, that is the greatest evidence that the mon is not completely divorced from human endeavor. Because if it was purely Hashem's gift, it would not discriminate between a tzaddik and a rasha. The fact that it takes into consideration this person is a rasha, so therefore they're going to get raw product and at a far distance from their home, tells us that human avoider is somehow part of the picture. So it's not exactly like dew. Dew doesn't discriminate between people. It falls equally, or it appears equally in every single environment. We're seeing over here in the Torah that mon does depend to some extent in some degree of preparation of the recipient to what extent he deserves that incredible experience of mon. For a tzaddik to key into the mon takes nearly no effort at all. It's benanim yosim is there. Benanim have to put in some effort. And the rishayim have to put in great effort in order to experience the mon. So that tells you that it's not completely just on Hashem's terms. The human experience does play a role. And by the way, that also helps us to understand the expression used in the Pasuk, which seems a little out of place based on what we've been saying. Because where Hashem says, I'm going to rain down mon on you. Which is different to where later on in the Torah we come back to the story of mon, and there the Torah specifically links it to dew. Here it uses the expression of rain. Surely that is contradictory to the whole notion of what the tal is all about, what the mon is all about. Because Because as we've already said, rain is relative to human endeavor. As it is in the the natural cycle of rain, rain is formed by evaporation that comes from the earth, which symbolically represents that it's a response from Hashem to human effort, what we have pushed upwards. So how can you use the expression that Hashem rains down mon, the heavenly food? If you're telling me that that food is completely non-reliant on our efforts. But it turns out that there's a stickle hybrid over here. Yes, mon, by and large, is all about Hashem's gift to us that does not rely on our efforts, similar to you. 
but how it manifests in the reality of our world. There is a rain element to it, which means that in a certain way it does actually depend on our efforts. And we need to understand how this hybrid works because initially we thought that the man is just purely no effort whatsoever. We aligned it with Shabbos. It's a day where you don't even have to think about your efforts. And now it's emerging that there is some kind of human responsibility over here. So what is the lesson and how does this work? So Abir Bozeh's explanation is this. The whole reason that there was mon, this heavenly food, was to prepare the Jewish people for the next, more long-term phase of their experience, how to live in a country where you've got to work, in Eretz Yisrael. How you live in an environment where you have to produce bread in the classical way. By illustrating through the mon experience to the Jewish people with absolute clarity that everything that you have in your life is from Hashem alone. That prepared and empowered them that even when they would come to settle in a formal land, where they would have to transition into a different way of doing things where you actually have to work the, the, the earth in order to produce food, they wouldn't forget the principle. Now you're working, draw on your experience with the man, and remember that your work is nothing more than a keli, but the provision is directly from Hashem. The mon was to train them how they should view the provision of everything that you need in life. The truth is the mon is not just a preparation and a, an empowerment of the people. But it will become something that you could actually tangibly experience even in Eretz Yisrael. Because we know that fundamentally to be Jewish means to live beyond the realities of nature. So therefore you take a Jewish person and you downgrade the Jewish person from the great lofty spiritual heights of the Neshama into the daily grind of trying to earn a living. Even though that Jew will go through the motions of living in this world, because the Jew is fundamentally linked to the Ebeshter who is beyond nature, so the way in which the Jew receives their brochus is in a way that is in no way linked to the nature itself. So you make a keli, but it's not like the brochus commensurate with a keli. The keli is just to create an environment through which Hashem's bracha, which is completely in a mile minateva, comes your way. In fact, not only that, not only is the natural order, I have to go to work, I have to plow my field, etc. Not only is that not nothing more than just a container, just a vehicle through which brachas come, and the reason I go through those motions is because the Abish instructed me to do so. Even if you take that approach and say, I have to create the natural process, then I'm acknowledging the power of nature. 
אלא גם על לחם הפרנוסים מן הארץ. The incredible uniqueness of the Jewish experience is that even producing bread out of the ground, even producing success in a business, is in a completely heavenly way, which is not bound in any way at all by the order of nature. That's what was drilled into us uh, through 40 years of mon. That one day when you're not getting mon and you are producing bread, you do not produce bread like anybody else on the planet. Your way of producing bread is lechem min ha-shomayim. It's completely supernatural, divine interaction that you create an environment for because Hashem told you to. Which creates absolute trust in Hashem as a Jewish person is meant to have. Not only when a person is in a dire emergency situation, but you don't see any practical way out of it. You don't see any way that you can provide for yourself. So you have no choice. You have to trust that Hashem is going to do a miracle because you cannot see a way forward. Which is like the Jews in the desert. There is no way to eat unless Hashem does this great miracle and sends you the mon. You're not going to survive. That's not such a chiddush. It's not such a surprise to us that in those uh, dramatic circumstances somebody trusts Hashem. It's when a person goes to work and you do have a job and you do have a business and you can plant seeds in the ground. And so therefore nature shows you you will succeed. Embedded inside the soul of the Jewish people, Anocha is the premise is the premise that actually my sustenance is directly from Hashem. It has nothing to do with nature. So if the markets fall tomorrow, it's not going to affect me. I'm doing these things because David just said so. And so therefore, when Hashem promises you that He will bless you in everything that you do, it's not just saying that you make this size, Kaylee, this much effort, that style of business. Therefore, you could expect that kind of success. Even if you expect the greatest blessing and greatest success. Instead, a Jewish person anticipates that what the Ebesh is going to give me will be exponentially, infinitely beyond the Kaylee that I have created because what I am getting is from Debeshtah directly. And the, the, the realities of nature are completely irrelevant. That's the headspace of a Jewish person in business. That explains why the mon required some human input. Let's assume that the mon just fell down, you didn't have to do a thing, it manifested in the bowl that was in your hand and was ready to eat immediately. Then it would have absolutely nothing in common with their next experience, which would be actually working the land. Which could have led a person to mistaken thinking. The person would think, when I'm dealing with mon, which requires no human input at all. That's what you have to have absolute trust in Hashem. And that's what you have to rely on Hashem completely because there is no alternative. 
But you'd figure that when I have to go to work one day and be an, a, a farmer in the land, I read in the Torah, the Torah says, I have to work for six of the seven years. In other words, the Torah expects human effort. So I would think that that is effectively the Torah acknowledging the reality of the physical world, which I have to take into consideration in the context of my business. And that's not what the Torah wants us to think. That's why even Lechem in Hashemayim had to come like rain, which required some degree of human input, which would illustrate that even in those circumstances where human input is key. You have to be absolutely conscious of the fact that what comes your way from on high is completely unrelated to human endeavor. It's the Ebishter's gift. And that empowered the Jews that even when they would later enter Eretz Yisrael, it would be absolutely embedded in every single Jewish person's consciousness. Even when you have to work by the sweat of your brow in your field to produce classical bread, it's actually effectively bread from heaven. And if you think that that's just an abstract concept, we remind ourselves of this concept every single time that we sit down to have bread and afterwards we say, and we bench, we actually remind ourselves of this principle. Which explains a fascinating thing about benching that must, we probably never think about. The first bracha of benching, was established by Moshe Rabbeinu at the time of the Mon. The second bracha, which is Brichas Ha'aretz, the blessing to thank Hashem for the land of Israel. That was instituted by Yehoshua when they entered the land. Now, with that in mind, it really makes no sense. Why do you bench? Because you've just had food. Here, now, in our reality, you've just had food and you're thanking Hashem for that food. So how does it make any logical sense that we'll now say over this bread, which is classical bread, and the way we should bless Hashem is to use a formula devised by Moshe Rabbeinu to thank Hashem for Lechem in Hashemayim, which we don't experience and haven't experienced for millennia. The question is an even stronger question. The fact that you say the first bracha of benching, we derive from the pasuk that tells us that you have to eat and satisfy yourself and then bless Hashem. Says the Gemara, this refers to the first bracha of benching, which is to acknowledge the fact that we've been satiated. And then the pastor continues and it says, Allah or it said, you have to bless Hashem for the land. That's the next bracha where you thank Hashem for the actual physical land of Israel. Simply, what's, what's the intention here? 
when we conclude the second bracha, we say, that's not where we're thanking Hashem for the fact that we are currently satisfied. Because that was what the first bracha was for. So what are we thanking Hashem for in the second bracha? We're thanking Hashem for the land. We're thanking Hashem for the land that produces food. Similar to the third bracha, where we thank Hashem for the city of Yerushalayim. We're thanking Hashem for the land that produces food. This is bizarre. How does it make any sense? That we thank Hashem for us being satisfied at this particular meal today in the 21st century by using the formula of the first bracha which is a bracha to thank Hashem for man, which we don't experience. Based on what we've explained till this point, it actually makes perfect sense. Because the Jewish experience of eating bread that has been produced in a farm through, from the ground, including the fact that Hashem has given a long-term bracha to the land that it will continuously produce food, all of that is just coating, all of that is just wrapping that contains the real brocha from Hashem, which is Lechem Nashomayim. Where does my food really come from? Not from the ground, it comes directly from the Abishnah. Because a Jew fundamentally is conscious of the fact that my food is not the result of my work, and it's not the result of my efforts, but it's the result of Hashem's bracha. It's not even just because I created a keli and therefore that keli facilitated this bracha. It is 100% that whatever I have is Hashem's gift. Move on from that is understood. Therefore, it makes sense that when I get to the point that I want to thank Hashem for the fact that I have eaten and I have been satisfied, which bracha do I use? The one that was composed for Lechem Because that's the reality. The reality is that this bread that is on my plate right now, the meal that I've just finished, Lechem is something completely unshackled from the human or the natural experience. Only once I acknowledge that, then then I thank Hashem for blessing the, the keli. The concept that Hashem gives brochas to what we do. Then I acknowledge Hashem's brocha to the earth, that the earth produces food. But fundamentally, as a Jewish person, I need to know that the source of everything I have in my life, all of my sustenance, is directly from Hashem. Do not pass begin without any interventions. Now, with that in mind, we can link the mon back to Shabbos. The three points that we have now made about the mon, all are reflected in Shabbos too. Aleph, the first point about the mon was, it's absolutely clear that this is heavenly food. It is an experience that drives home the message very clearly, trust Hashem and nothing and nobody else. Because everything comes only from Hashem. 
Number two base, Mikomokomadan Koshul Gambatirsodam Abedasamakabal. Nevertheless, there is a requirement for human input so that we can relate the concept that everything comes to from Hashem into our own experience. So therefore we relate that to our experience in real terms that even when we're earning a living, where what we're doing appears to conform only to the rules of nature. I should be conscious that it's not as it appears and it's directly Hashem's input and it's directly Hashem's brocha. Those three concepts are all part of the Shabbos experience. Firstly, an interesting thing, when it comes to providing the things that you need for Shabbos, so the Gemara tells us, Hashem says, you borrow money on my account, and you trust me and I'll help you pay it back, or I will pay it, I will pay back your debts. The debts that you create for Shabbos, I'll pay. I know that means. What's it say? person who cannot afford to buy things for Shabbos. Not only can they not afford Shabbos, they can't see how they'll ever repay the loan that they're going to use in order to buy things for Shabbos. The message is, trust Hashem absolutely. Like the mon. Trust Hashem absolutely. It's like a because the things of Shabbos, they are heavenly food that do not require human intervention. Hashem has got this. You go out, they do what you got to do, and they will provide. Here, on the other hand, the reality is it's all very nice, but it's not that the food is going to be delivered from heaven to your door. You've got to go out there, find the money to borrow. Yes, sir, okay. Furthermore, when does it say that you can borrow money for Shabbos if you have something to put down as collateral? But if the person has nothing at, uh, at all to, to put down as a collateral in order to borrow money, in order to buy the things for Shabbos, what does the Gemara say? Don't borrow. Leave it to the Ebersh, so to speak. So therefore, what's it telling us? It's telling us that I have things. So naturally, it makes sense. I, I can see a logical way by which I can provide for myself. Even though you're going to put down that object as a collateral, your intention is not that the collateral will actually go to the creditor. You're doing those steps because that's what the natural order requires. If you want to secure a loan, you have to put something down as a deposit. But you're not relying on the deposit. You're relying that Hashem is going to pay. They will find a way, which I couldn't have anticipated, to provide me with a means to pay back that loan. Yet, the fact is, they does expect me to take some proactive steps Go secure the loan. Go put down the deposit on the loan. I have to have something, right? Some kind of an anchor, the so-called keili. But the keili does not become the source of where I'm going to get the money for Shabbos. It's just, this is why David wants me to facilitate it. But the bracha will come from Hashem directly. Thirdly, just like the mon would influence the attitude and experience of the Jewish people once they got into Israel, the experience of Shabbos is supposed to color our experience of the entire week. 
על ידי זה שיש ליהודי ביטחון מולי בהשם, אשר הקדוש ברוך הוא ימציא לו לפרוע. The fact that a person has that absolute faith that Hashem will provide, I don't know how, I don't know what, the means by which I'll be able to repay my Shabbos debts. And he sees that David rewards my efforts of going out and getting that loan. Using the so-called vessels that are available to me, the things I could put down as collateral. But David response is going to be completely supernatural. That should become my thinking. When I sit in the office through the other six days of the week, it should be with absolute consciousness. That whatever is going to come my way through all of the efforts, the meetings, the marketing, the strategy sessions, the purchases, the sales that I'm going to do, it's all Deibishter. provides, and specifically the Lashen is Mamtsi, which means it's like you find something you had not expected to find. Your sustenance, your Parnas, in a way that is completely unnatural, supernatural. It's just that Deibishter disguises the delivery system of those Brochas within things that appear to be natural. It's such a powerful and important message for each of us to remember because we so easily get caught up in the expectations of the world and our expectations from the world. We have to remember it comes directly from the Abishta. It's a fascinating shift of the whole psychology of business and earning. So then we can understand what the Zoyar tells us. What does the Zoyar tell us? The Pasuk says, don't Keep food over from one day of the month to the next. Says the Zoya, what that means is that all six days of the week are blessed from the month of Shabbos. Because the person didn't carry over month from one day to the next, that's why they get the bracha. Now, at first glance, there doesn't seem to be a connection between these two points. The fact that you get man on Shabbos, at least the spiritual configuration of energy that will create the man through the six weeks occurs on Shabbos. Why is that linked to the idea that you may not keep man from one day to the next? But in the context of our explanation, it actually makes perfect sense. The fact that the spiritual source for man activates on Shabbos. Because that's exactly what man is. Man is a flow of bracha from Hashem that does not rely on and is not in any way connected to the realities of the natural order. Which is exactly what Shabbos is, Kanal Barucha, as we explained. And we made a Gamas Manila which is why the timing, what Shabbos? Shabbos is called Lachta Suya. You don't have to worry about anything. Not only do you not have to worry about anything, but it's a time where you can borrow from Hashem and He'll provide in a way that is completely supernatural. That's what Shabbos is. So it's the most appropriate time to activate the energy of Mun. So Shabbos represents how the money is conceptually in its source, but it has to translate into how we experience the money in practice. How does that translate into practice? If 
you don't keep mon from today until tomorrow, that shows us that you believe absolutely. It's lechem in Hashem mamtzi lochem. That Ibish is going to provide for you. You don't have to, you don't have to worry about tomorrow. But the reality, though, on a Shabbos is that on Shabbos, the whole mon experience was purely in the spiritual setup. Whereas down here, the mon didn't physically fall. Because the so-called rain element about the mon, which made a different to tal, right? To do is always there absolutely consistently. Whereas the mon required some kind of human input. As we highlighted the difference between the tzaddik, the Beni and the Russia, which shows that there has to be human input. The human input only relates to the mon once it has entered the human realm. But the mon as it is in its most pristine state of origin, where it is contained within the spiritual reality called Shabbos, at that point, it is completely free of any human input, doesn't require any human input, isn't related to any human input, and therefore there's no mon. And that, by the way, teaches us about Shabbos too. The whole concept of borrowing money and then trusting that Hashem will give you the resources to repay the money in order to have a Shabbos, all of that occurs before Shabbos starts. But on Shabbos, you're not worried about loans. You're not worried about repaying the loans. You shouldn't even think about it. That's why the concept of not going to look for mon on Shabbos is actually one of the key mitzvahs that the whole intention of mon was built on. Because that actually expresses what the whole goal of bringing the mon was. Shabbos is a day where you can experience how the mon is in its spiritual source. So Shabbos has to be a day where you feel that it is completely wrested from the hands of people. People have no influence. People have no input over here. We're looking at the man in its pristine form. It's completely the Abish's business. Not even to receive. Not even to be a passive recipient. And therefore, therefore they couldn't go out on Shabbos to collect money.